So the book of Revelation, uh, John is writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And, and uh, he's going to list what the seven churches are. And we are going to begin in this message with the first church that, is, uh, that he's writing to and writing about. John receives his message from the Lord, uh, through the Lord directly, we're going to see here in just a minute, but also other messages he is receiving through visions and angels are giving him the interpretation of the visions and so forth. But as we read right now, what John has, he's writing letters to these seven churches and the Lord is speaking to him. And to set up Revelation chapter 2, look back with me please, Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. The Lord Jesus is, is speaking specifically to John himself. And he tells John, John who's, who's been exiled to the island of Patmos, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. What is chapter 1 verse 19? It is God's own divine outline for the book of Revelation, and also for how things will unfold in the history of the world. So with chapter 1 verse 19 alone, we have God's own divine outline. We see the things that are past. He tells John here, chapter 1 verse 19, write the things which you have seen. That is past. You've seen, if you look earlier in chapter 1, you've seen the Lord in all of His glory. Verse 12, John says, I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. These verses come from Old Testament prophets. And John is told, write the things that you have seen. John, you've seen that, right? These Old Testament prophets wrote of that. So we have the past in chapter 1. And then he says, write the things which are, he also says in chapter 1, verse 19. Again, God's own divine outline. The things which are, are the things that are present. In the book of Revelation, that would be chapters 2 and 3. That's where we are beginning in this message. With chapter 2 and 3, you have the message to the seven churches. The things which are, chapters 2 and 3, cover the time period from Pentecost. The Lord Jesus Christ rises, He ascends to heaven. His Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. The church age begins, the age of the Gentiles, you could say. And this, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, cover the time of Jesus ascending into heaven all the way through the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans, the time that John wrote the book of Revelation in 90, 95 AD, on through the days of the, the rest of the Roman persecution, and on throughout church history, all the way up to today, right now, while you are sitting here listening to this message, this covers the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, all the way up to the rapture of the church, when those who are alive and remain, as First Thessalonians teaches us, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So chapters 2 and 3 cover the things which are from the time when Jesus ascended in heaven all the way until the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air, the rapture of the church. And if you don't believe in the rapture of the church, come back when we get to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, and we're going to learn all about the rapture of the church and, and what the Bible actually says about believers being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So John is told by the Lord, write the things which you have seen. That's past. The things which are, chapters 2 and 3. And then write about the future, the things which will take place after this. After what? After the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. From chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, 
all the way to the very end of the book of Revelation, including when Jesus returns and the millennial kingdom is set up and the rule and the reign of the Antichrist and all of the, the tribulation destruction that comes upon the planet. Those are the things that, that take place in the rest of the book of Revelation. The things which will take place in the future. When we think of Bible prophecy, typically we think of that, the future, and the things that take place between uh, chapters 4 and uh, chapter 22. But with that, let's look at this, verse 20. I want to help set up a little bit more about where we are going from this point and talking about the things which are and why they matter to you today, because that's what this subject is. The Lord tells John, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. Uh, here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Oh, well, this is kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? So let's, let's look at this question. Here's one simple one for you. I'm going to give you seven questions tonight, help you to follow along. You can write down the questions. I'll give you the answers too. It's like an open book kind of test. I give questions, I give answers. You get to sound really smart, and you know all about what Jesus is saying. But here's the first question. What is going on with these lampstands and with these stars in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20? Well, let's go back just a little bit. I want to do a little bit more of the foundation for where we're going, all right? Look back again, chapter 1, verse 10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, and this is the Lord. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, John, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Again, that's modern day Turkey, all right? So John is writing a letter to seven churches. That's what the book of Revelation is. These are churches that existed some 2,000 years ago, or, to age to, uh, or 1,900 years ago, to Ephesus, to Smyrna. These are the names of the cities where the churches are to Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then, look at this, verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Remember what John just said in verse 20? He wrote about the words of the Lord. Here's what the seven gold lampstands are, and here's what the seven stars are. You continue reading through this. It tells us here, John writing, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with the golden band. His head and hair were, were white like wool, as white as snow's eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice was sound of many waters. This is a description of the Lord. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining. So what do we have here? The seven gold lampstands, the seven stars, and the seven churches, right? Verse 20, we are told what the seven gold lampstands are. They are the seven churches themselves. And what else were we told in verse 20? What the seven stars are. We are told here, look at the verse 20. What are these seven stars? The seven stars are angels of the seven churches. So what is going on with these lampstands and, and stars? They're the churches and they are the angels that it appears to oversee these churches. Now, I find this kind of cool, personally. I remember years ago reading uh, parts of a book by Frank Peretti called 
Piercing the Darkness. Some of you might remember that old book. And, and it's a, about all of the spiritual battle and the, the demonic beings and the angelic beings, and even in the church service. If this seems to imply, and I believe that you can, you can uh, uh, also understand from reading the Bible that churches have an angel that is appointed to them. And that's how I personally feel. Now, there are some scholars and even friends of mine that say, no, these aren't actual angels. These are pastors over these seven churches because the word angel means messenger. However, I can tell you right now, I am a pastor over this church, but I ain't no angel. And I look at this and I'm thinking, personally, I'm thinking there's an angel over the church. I praise the Lord for that. He's protecting and... uh and we get to press forward in that, but 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 to me, this is just so. Uh, this is just so cool, to think that there would be angels that are overseeing uh, this congregation. Isn't that awesome, man? And I'm convinced that's actually what it means here, just as it says. But with that understanding, think of it like this. So John is writing a letter to the seven churches. Imagine coming to 412 Church on a Sunday, and I stand up here and I say, brothers and sisters, uh, the church received a letter this week, and it's from Jesus. The first thing you think is you're nuts. Um, But in a sense, we really did, right here, a whole book full of letters. But if I were to continue on, and I would say, listen, I don't mean a, a message to the global community of Christian believers or something from a long time ago. I mean a letter recently dictated and specifically addressed to our congregation. Uh, Jesus has been examining and evaluating us, and he has decided to send us a report card. For me, I'd say, ouch. You know, I've gotten report cards before. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, I was not a good student. Is there anybody in here who, else who wasn't a good student? Okay, now how many of you are like really good students? Those kind that I was always mad at in school because I always got A's and I had to cheat and look at your paper and stuff. And I was, I was not a good student. Uh, but my dad always checked my report card. This is way back before computers or anything, right? So, um, you know, you brought it home. Remember those days when you brought home your report card? <laughs> that they finally figured out, hey, kids don't take these home. So, or they change things on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You do whatever you can. So my dad, he was always mad at me because I always, I mean, I pretty much was a D student. I figured I got D's, I can pass. That was, that was it. You know, I had other ambitions in life, and school wasn't one of them. So I, I remember I got a, I, I, I had an F on a report card. My dad checked every report card I ever had. That was the only report card I ever had with an F. And apparently my dad was going through some tr- personal trials, and it was the only report card my dad never asked to see. I still praise the Lord. Here it is, 40 years later. Thank you, Lord, because it would not have gone well for me. You want, here's the best part. You want to know what I got the F in? You guys ready for this? What? Uh, no, I did pretty good at PE. Metal shop. <laughs> I mean, how do you get an F in metal shop? Here's how I got the F in metal shop. I went to class every day, but the teacher thought I was an idiot. So what happened was... All of my friends in Metal Shop were making these really cool scriptures, welding, I mean, sculpt scriptures. That's the Bible. Sculptures, I mean, they're making giraffes and, and, and windmills and really cool houses. I mean, out of metal and all these cool things. 
I'm over in the corner pounding out ashtrays. That's all I knew how to do was take a, a piece of metal and I could put it in a mold and pound it out. And, and my, teacher had, my teacher had enough of my ashtrays, I guess. So anyway, but, but they, you know, all that to say, this is a report card for these churches at the end of the first century. And that's what the Lord is issuing himself, a, a spiritual report card. So with that in mind, uh, let's move on. Second question, why did the Lord pick these churches? Well, the Bible doesn't say. They aren't the largest churches. They aren't the most influential churches. Ephesus, the first church in the letter, uh, was a big city, an important city, but the church, eh. Um, And then you have uh, other churches that were much smaller cities. Uh, So why were they chosen? I think they were chosen for uh, their sake and for ours. These letters met specific needs in those congregations, uh, but taken as a whole throughout church history and throughout the church age, um, the characteristics that Jesus talks about speak to every church congregation, and they also speak to everybody as individuals that is a Christ follower. Uh, they, they fit every criteria. They fit the good, they fit the bad, and they fit the ugly, just like an old Clint Eastwood movie. A couple of things to note that we can learn from this part already is Jesus is watching. Wow, I remember going to Catholic school and, and the nun telling me that Jesus was watching me, and I was scared to death because some of those nuns were pretty tough. And I remember, I remember... Her saying, you can't even hide under your desk and get away from Jesus. I was thinking, well, what am I going to do then? And, uh, but praise the Lord, God, God's full of grace. But I read about this man who broke into a house one night, and while he was tiptoeing across the floor, he heard a small voice say, Jesus is watching you. And he stopped for a moment, and he said to himself, this must be a voice for my old Sunday school teacher. I need to get rid of that voice sometime when I'm done here ripping off this house. So he started across the floor again when he heard the voice say again, Jesus is watching you. So he turned his flashlight to the direction of the voice and he he saw a birdcage with a parrot. And he said to the parrot, what's your name? The parrot replied, Moses. (laughs) That's a stupid name, replied the burglar. What What kind of people would name their parrot Moses? The parrot looked up and said, the same stupid people who named the Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> so, so Jesus has been watching these, not the Rottweiler, <laughs> the real Jesus, has been watching these churches. Revelation chapter 2 tells us he walks in the midst of them. We're going to see that in a minute. And for the record, the church is made up of all believers, right? It's not just the gathering like this, but it's made up of all believers. So that means what we learn already is Jesus is in our midst. He's walking with us. He's he's in our presence. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with us, observing the good, the bad, and the ugly. But think on this. Hebrews tells us that he is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here in Revelation, Jesus carefully watched and evaluated his churches. 
He's the same now as then, so we can be sure that He carefully watches and evaluates His churches today. If we walk among them, Jesus also, He walks among us. So here, when it comes to the specifics of the seven churches, we come to understand that Jesus paid, paid close attention. He examined them. He weighed them. He, he liked some of what He saw. He didn't like some of the other things. Also, Jesus is watching, but Jesus tells them what he sees. <gasps> Here's the report card, right? What does he see? He says, I know your work. Wow. He gives a specific promise to overcomers. All seven of the uh, report cards from Jesus, they all end with, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this means that this is... Uh, applicable for them back then but it's all of the churches and it's applicable to us as a church body me as a pastor because ultimately i look at this in the church sense i'm the most responsible person here for this but also as individuals we have responsibility number three however pastor tom Number three, don't these churches only represent specific er, uh, eras, uh, time periods? There are some Bible teachers who believe that. I have some friends who, who believe that. I don't believe it's, it's true. I believe you can make it fit. Uh, one example is that uh, Ephesus could fit the apostolic church of the first century. Uh, Smyrna could fit the time period of the church that was heavily persecuted by the Catholic church and the popes when there were many martyrs. So you can start to fit each of the seven churches in various time periods, and, and you get to the church of Laodicea, and people say that's the church that fits the last days. Um, I believe that that is possible, but, the, but also I believe it's a much more applicable to all churches of all ages because you have the church of Ephesus operating every day and age. You have the church of Smyrna that's persecuted. You have the church of Laodicea that's lukewarm. In fact, if we just were to look at today, the Church of Smyrna, those are the people who are persecuted and killed and martyred for their faith. We see that happening in Arab territories. We see the persecution in parts of Asia and various parts of the world. However, we see Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the one where Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're neither. Since you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Wow, we're not going to look at that today. But uh, that describes much of what has happened to the church in America and the church of the West. So you have the various churches, the, the Philadelphia church, the church of brotherly love. You see that oper operating in parts like Africa and so forth. So we have these, all of these churches even operating today. So I believe all of these things are, um, yeah, you can put them in errors. You could do that, but really it's applicable to individuals and to churches throughout every day and every age but with that this is what we're going to do we're going to go here we're going to go to ephesus right about in the middle of your screen you see it that's in asia minor uh as it was called in the bible times but nowadays we call that same territory ephesus and this area of asia minor uh, we call that territory excuse me asia minor we call it turkey uh, and this church of ephesus is one of the seven they're all located in that general area near ephesus they're in modern-day Turkey. So with that, you ready? And we only have enough time to look at one today because I had quite the long introduction. Praise the Lord for you guys. 
So I can't go on and on and on, although I'd like to. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Lord says this for John to write. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Seven stars, seven angels. The seven golden lampstands the seven churches, right? Okay. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Let's stop here for just a few minutes. I want to note a few things. Uh, This church of Ephesus that John is writing to, Paul also wrote to the church of Ephesus. 35 years later, in your Bible, in the New Testament, is the letter to the Ephesians. So that was 35 years ago. Here, 35 years later, after Paul wrote to him, the Lord Jesus Christ is writing the report card to the church of Ephesus. Here's what's developed over 35 years. Here's how you started. Here's how you look now. So, with that in mind, Look at this, number one, what did they do right? Well, they did some pretty cool things right. Uh, They did a good job. I I read these things, and really, this was a pretty good church overall. So what did they do right? They labored. They they labored for the Lord is what that means. Um, The Greek word here indicates for labored, it indicates labored to the point of exhaustion, so much so that the Lord says, John writes this to them, that they were weary in well-doing. They persevered. Uh, I look at this, I say, man, what a wonderful statement to be said about any of us, huh? You're weary in well-doing, man. You are pressing forward with the Lord. And then the Lord also said, you cannot bear those who are evil. That did not mean, understand this, where the Lord said that. And he commended Ephesus for this. It did not mean that they were intolerant or uncaring toward the lost. It meant that they had church discipline. They chose solid, godly leaders to leave that church in Ephesus. And the Lord said, man, that is the way that you've got to do it. Also, they stood up for right doctrine. Jesus says in verse 2, you have tested those who say they are apostles, but they are not. And you found them to be liars. There's false preachers who have come in here and you booted them out you said get out of here and i want to commend you for that Uh, they did a lot of things right and it was really cool however number five what did they do wrong look at this you ready i did say it was a report card right they're not getting straight a's this isn't the 4.0 church verse four nevertheless jesus says I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ouch! Uh, Understand this. Jesus doesn't say you have lost your first love. You know, people say, I've lost my love for this, or lost my love for that, or, um, you know, I fell out of love, or whatever, you know. So think of it like this. He says, you've left. It was a decision that you made. Um, It it wasn't... um, Understand it in another way. People will say, I've lost my salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. 
I believe if you're saved, you're saved. And this isn't so much about salvation, but this is a decision that uh, a person has made probably over a length of time, and they used to be in love with the Lord, and they've left that marker. Doesn't mean they're not saved, right? But they, they've left it. They made a decision. They've, 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 they've chosen to do things, and uh, they're just not, uh, they're just not, they're not digging it anymore. Does it make sense? I can think back to when I first got saved. And man, I remember walking down the shores of Newport Beach. And I put on, remember Walkmans? How <laughs> many had a cassette you used to put in those things? How many of you have ever heard of a cassette before? Anyways, <laughs> so I had my Walkman. You know, you don't, you don't need those anymore. You got phones and watches and everything else to have your music on. Implants in your brain, apparently. But, um,. Man, I just, I just love doing that. So there's an emotional tie to that in the beginning of my salvation. Uh, sometimes I can get stressed out over work. And, and, you know, but I, I've learned over the years to keep my relationship with the Lord. I've got to be in love with Him. doesn't mean, listen folks, doesn't mean I'm perfect. Uh, but I, I know that the emotional highs I used to have, I don't have those anymore. It's like you meet your, your wife when you're in high school and you got butterflies in your stomach. Oh, puppy love. You know, remember those? You know, how many of you have those relationships way back? You know, and you got all these emotions going on. And, you know, after 30 years of marriage, that would be really weird if every time you saw your wife, oh, I got butterflies every time I see you. You know, some people probably are like that. I think that's what you got to grow in that, right? So it's not based on emotion. It's not what it's talking about. But do I still love the Lord? Well, you know, eh, eh, not, I know I'm still saved. Uh, it's not that I'm sinning. These guys weren't sinning, but it, the love was gone, right? And it wasn't Jesus' fault. Uh, they ha- are the ones who have left their first love. The church of Ephesus had been founded uh, 35 years earlier. Uh, Paul wrote to them. They loved the Lord. There's a great spiritual awakening that had taken place. But a generation later, things had changed. Here's the thing with Ephesus. The Lord pointed out a lot of good things. Here's the one thing I have against you. So they did the right things. They believed the right things. And they stood up for the right things. But had increasingly become an exercise of the mind only. And their heart was no longer engaged with the Lord in the process. Yeah, they're still getting to heaven. Does that make sense? But they're not, they're not really into the Lord anymore. Uh, they're grumbling about the people at church. Yeah, we'll take care of this problem. Yeah, we'll take care. I can't believe we got to deal with sinners all the time. But they were still doing it, right? But behind the scenes, it was just, they lost that love. Or they, excuse me, it's wrong. They left. And then lose, they left. Uh, we see this today in some of the great churches that have a, a great doctrine. And everything is built on that. You've got to have good doctrine. That's Ephesus. But the love is not there, right? It's truth without grace. Uh, it's, Jesus is full of truth and full of grace, as John chapter 1 says. He's full of both, not half truth, half grace. Full of grace and full of truth. And that's where we need to strive for. Lord, let me be full of truth, right doctrine like Ephesus but I've got to be full of the love of God at the same time. Lord, help me to make sure I have both.
both. It's not half of this and half of that. It's pressing forward with both. It's also worth noting that where Jesus says you've left your first love, the word for love here is agape, unconditional love, right? It's kind of like Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You recall Jesus is barbecuing the fish after, the, after he ascends, after he uh, is risen from the grave. He's barbecuing the fish. Peter comes over. Jesus says, Peter, I've got to talk to you. And Peter says this, or Jesus says this to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Remember that conversation? Peter responds with, do you love me? Peter responds with, yes, Lord, I love you. However, the word for love that Peter used back was phileo, friend. I don't, Lord, I used to think I agape you. I had an unconditional love for you. But now I realize I've left that. And the best I can say is, I like you like a friend. I have that kind of relationship. That's where they are, right? Like Peter was when Jesus found him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Again, it's worth noting, 35 years earlier with the same church of Ephesus, Paul wrote this to them in Ephesians chapter 1, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Oh, they were a church of love. 35 years later, generation and a half later, they've left that love, right? Uh, and then also, just a couple chapters later, the same letter to the Ephesians. This, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is Paul's prayer for them through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Work for that generation. Right? And then this verse goes on to say, this passage, to know, here's my prayer, that you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Man. So we can see where they were and where they are. Again, look, this application is for you and me. This is a great place to ask the Lord in your own heart tonight, Lord, show me where am I on this scale. Um, I know where I used to be, and here's where I am now. Maybe you're better. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you're, you have left. Lord, I used to love you. Now I like you as a friend. I believe I'm still getting to heaven. Um, Lord, show me. And then be honest. Right? Let's move on. I said there's only seven questions. Number six. Here it is. What is the solution if you no longer have that love for Christ? Verse five. Look at this. Here it is. The solution. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Wow. And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what should you do? We should remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Stop and think about what it was like before. Compare the current state of you to the previous state when you first came into that relationship with Christ. Make sense, right? Remember, what else does he tell us to do? Repent and do the first works. What does repent mean? It simply means to make a U-turn. Agape love. Lord, I love you with unconditional love. You love me. I love you with unconditional love. It is a choice that we make. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. 
Uh, if you find yourself waning, you make a choice. You say, I choose to go back and, and do that. I choose to love you like that again, Lord. Uh, I choose those first words. You make a U-turn from where you are. Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not as hot for you as I once was. In fact, I'm kind of cold. I wouldn't consider myself lukewarm. But I'm cold. I ain't where I used to be. You remember, you repent, and what else should you do? You return. Repent, he says, and do the first works. Do what you used to do. Remember those times when you used to have all those devotions with me? What happened to them? Remember the times when you used to go up to the mountains just to get away with me for a couple hours and get out your Bible and read and take notes and Remember how you used to pray? Remember all those things? And you said, oh, I will never stop doing this, Lord. Right? Remember, oh. Return. Do those things that you used to. Do the right things. Make the right choices. Choose love. Look at this. He says, repent and do the first works. Or else, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Wow. Vance Havner, a preacher of the old, he had a, a book called Repent or Else uh, from back in 1958. It was a book of, on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. I like that. Repent or else. So let's take a look at this uh, through the context of uh, the churches and God's message to the Christian churches today. In just the last few years, uh, we've seen what appears to be lampstands being removed. The fire, the light being removed from churches, right? A church ought to be the bright light on the hill, right? Uh, but it appears that we have seen that. And, and uh, how, how has that happened? I, I, I believe it's real simple. What has happened in our culture? Again, you don't have this in the Arab communities. You don't have it in the Asian communities of churches and so forth. In America, we do see this where people have made decisions, churches have made decisions, instead of saying, you know what, this is wrong, um, they, they are entering into the place of celebrating sin. What's happened is culture has infected the church instead of the church being a light and infecting the culture. Um, the good news is that the church of Ephesus was still pressing forward, but they've left their first love, and here's the warning, man, you better get back to that. Or guess what? You're going to be infected by the culture because you, you, that, that, the love that you once had for the Lord is, God, is gone. It ain't there like it once was. And man, it's just a matter of time before you cave to the cultural pressures. Uh, that's what I believe we've seen happen lately. Think of this. This is a Pew Research poll from June of 2017. Listen to this. This is regarding same-sex marriage. And I believe it's because of the culture, pressure, and people conforming. The support of same-sex marriage in Americans culturally was 35%. In June of 2017, the support has gone to 62%, right? So that's support. That's American culture. But the culture, listen to this. The culture has infected the churches. 
and even more so possibly even worse with churches than it is out in the culture. 62% of Americans support gay marriage culturally in churches. Listen to this. 67% of Catholics now support same-sex marriage. 68% of Protestants. Wow! You start looking at that. So in the church you can say, those people out there in the world are so bad. Well, there's 5% less out there than there is within the Catholic Church. 6% less out there than there is within the Protestant Church. And you look at that and you, 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 you I mean, it just makes me go, wow. So what happens is the culture does affect um, churches if you have left that marker of the first love that you Number seven, last question. How do you stay on the right track with Jesus? Well, you've got to make course uh, corrections. Let me explain. Going down the road, it's a straight road. If you've been driving for like more than a week, you know on a straight road, you're making these constant course corrections. You can't just point your wheel in one direction, take your hand off it, unless it's one of those self-driving cars. But that's different, right? But with us, right, you have to constantly make your corrections as you're going down the road if you find yourself going east when you are supposed to be going west you have to make yourself a u-turn right a big course correction in our lives we need to be constantly making course corrections big and small ones that keep us in place in the place where god can best use us we have to do it as individuals Church, like this, have to also do that. The, the, the lead pastor, the senior pastor has to do it. The pastoral staff has to do it. The elders, the board, you have to make those course corrections. And then as individuals, each individual Christian life has to understand, look, God doesn't just set me here and then I sail on straight for the rest of my life. You're going to get bumped all over the place. You're going to have tornadoes that are going to hit you. They're going to knock you off the road. You're going to fall over the cliff because you forgot to follow the road. All these crazy things, right? Same thing with the Christian life. It's course corrections. It's constant course corrections. And sometimes you've got to come to a place to say, man, I need to make a big course correction. Last two verses, 6 and 7. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus says, he has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. Let me point this out before we wrap this up. So here Jesus is commending them that they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So who are the Nicolaitans? The Scripture doesn't tell us. Commentaries vary on uh, who the Nicolaitans are. Uh, It it appears from many of the commentators uh, that the Nicolaitans um, aired in the area of grace and liberty. The Nicolaitans taught that God wasn't interested in the Christian's character or conduct. Hence, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Here's a picture of one of the, uh, the remains of the, of the area of Ephesus. Ephesus is a remarkable place um, in the world's view. Ephesus itself was famous for Diana worship, and that meant... A sexual orgies as part of the worship. So believing the Nicolaitans' doctrine would have been devastating to 
the church there. Does it make sense? It's being infected by the culture. When you've left your first love, it is real of Christ. The culture starts to infect you. So Jesus specifically commended them for hating such sinful deeds. Deeds that were celebrated in culture, but they stood up for what was right. Um, Let me give you a little bit of a warning, all right? This is from Romans chapter 1. This is talking about celebrating what's right in the culture when you know what's wrong in the Bible, all right? And you can fill in the blanks, however they fit you. But in Romans chapter 1, God says, he talks about the time when the people worship the creation rather than the creator. In other words, they worship the environment, they worship Mother Nature. It's not God, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's all that stuff. They put nature first. They put the environment first. We're living in a world that does that right now. And then he, so he says, you worship the creation rather than the creator. That's one sign. And he says, you hate God. Um, I, and I'm, or essentially, and, and so I'm going to turn you over to what you want to do. I'm going to turn you over to your own lusts. Where women will lie with women, men are going to lie with men. And it will be this culture. And you'll receive the penalty that's coming, God says. Because you refused me, and you just wanted to give in to those things, right? And then he says this. They will be judged, but also those who support them will also be judged. In other words, those who just culturally go along and say, Hey, it's okay. Uh, Let me tell you something, all right? We live in a culture that says uh, gay marriage is okay. And I know this isn't going to play well on the radio as it goes out there. But that's all right. Because people need to hear the truth. And I have friends that have been homosexual and have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. God forgives people. He forgives the woman who had an abortion. He forgives the man who who forced the woman to have the abortion. He'll forgive the murderer. He forgives the thief. He forgives the drug addict. He, he will forgive anybody who will come to him. It's not about that. Uh, Jesus says it's the deeds, right? He, he, I, you hate those deeds and, and it's understanding that we need to stand up for what is righteous and what is true and they were doing that. And Jesus says, this is a good thing. If you stay that course, it doesn't mean you're against that person. God saves sinners. You understand that, right? All of us here, guess what? All of us fall into one category that's exactly the same. We're all sinners. If you know Christ, you're saved sinners. God loves you. God did not send His Son to the world to condemn you, but that through Him you would be forgiven. And there are some things that are wrong and sinful and the bible tells us what they are and you want to know what culturally this is a big deal right now there's all kinds of sin gossip is a sin are you you got a gossip issue repent or else right jesus loves you too even if you gossip amazing how that works but he will forgive you but what happens look at this i love this verse seven he who has an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I love that. He says, he who overcomes, you persevere. You go back to that place of your first love, man, and paradise of God is 
yours. Amen? Amen. Amen.